death and taxes. Although I had a CPA tell me once that at least with taxes, you can file for an extension. <laughs> so um, we're not, now the fortunate thing about today's sermon is not about your death and not about my death, but about the predicted death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Matthew chapter 17, starting with verse 22, it says this. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. Now this is the second specific reference to the entire group of disciples that Jesus predicts his death and resurrection. He has made reference to it to others and at various times. For instance, when he was talking to Nicodemus, he said that Son of Man must be lifted up. That was reference to his death by what means. He also told uh, the religious leaders uh, when they were wanting to know more signs and wonders to prove who he was, he said, this generation will have no other sign than the sign of Jonah which again is the obvious burial for three days in resurrection. He also told the three, Peter, James, and John, as they came down from the uh, mount where he was transfigured, he said, do not tell them of this until after my resurrection. So he is constantly telling his disciples what the plan is. Now there is a fallacy in many those who refuse to accept that Jesus is the Messiah by saying when they accept the historical fact that he was crucified, that, well, he was a good man, a good rabbi, an itinerant preacher, but the events of the and the circumstances just got beyond him and crushed him beneath the wheels of history, if you will. Jesus continued to predict his death. It wasn't something that happened to him. As the scripture says, he, life was not taken. He laid it down for us. And in case you're wondering, and again, there's many fine theologians and pastors and whatever who believe that God came up with a plan and things got messed up, so he came up with another plan, and things got messed up, so he came with another plan, until finally came up the plan with Jesus. That's just utter nonsense. To show that that's utter nonsense, I want you to look quickly in your Bibles at Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. And then he goes on and says, in love, he brings us. But notice, before God even said, let there be light, the plan was that God so loved his people, all the ethnic groups, that he sent his son, God's son, the son of God, God, to be a savior for us. That whoever believes in him 
would not perish, but have eternal life. So this prediction of Jesus' death is not only one that shows us that Jesus, it just didn't happen to him, it was planned before he even said, let there be light. That that was God's plan to send his son. And his son participated in the plan throughout the entire time. Now, so when you hear people say, well, God keeps having to come up with a plan. Yeah, he had a plan. That was before he ever said anything. Now, the problem is, is I understand the disciples' response partially because they were deeply grieved. Because let's face it, to one sense, you say, Jesus, I and every person who ever existed is not worth you dying this way for us. It is not even close in worth of exchange. And so I could see them, but I also think that they were probably grieved because they didn't fully understand because their thought was the Messiah doesn't die. So it's like, this isn't, this isn't happening. And yeah, we've seen Jesus raise people from the dead, but Jesus was alive when he raised people from the dead. We've never heard of anybody being dead, raising himself from the dead. So they're deeply grieved. But the prediction of his death shows that God, as we like to say, is in control. However, usually when we say, and, and, I'm, and I know all of us have said it, and I'm not here to castigate you for saying it, but a lot of times we say God is in control because we're not, and things aren't quite turning out the way we think or they should or whatever, or it's still not happening, so we say, well, God is in control. Well, this next passage is going to show how much God is in control. And, this, and the sad thing is, I guess, of the various commentaries I've read, nobody has seen this. They talk about what Jesus does. They talk about some other things, and they talk about a miracle. And yes, it is a miracle, but it's a miracle in a number of different ways. So let's take a look. Verse 24. We've talked about death. Now we're going to talk about taxes. And when they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? And he said, yes. So right off the bat, when you look at the commentaries, there's a discussion about what this tax is. Some will say it's the, the tax related to the temple that was instituted during the building of the tabernacle that was continued on in the temple and it was every male 20 years of age or older had to pay a particular tax for the tabernacle or now the temple. Others will say, because Jesus will make reference to kings and whatever, that no, it's not about the temple tax, it's about the tax to the Romans and whatever. I believe that Jesus here has been presented, Peter has been presented with, do you pay the temple tax? There is later on in his ministry, he's going to deal with the question of paying taxes to Rome. As we all remember, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, unto God what is God's. But I believe this is the temple tax, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. 
So he said yes, because I think Peter's not wanting to get into a fight, and, and I'm sure he's just thinking, well, Jesus does everything he's supposed to do, so therefore he pays the tax. Well, Jesus is going to teach Peter two lessons. And I think that there's two significant lessons he's about to teach Peter. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first and saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll taxes? From their sons or from strangers? He's saying, okay. And that's where some people think we're talking about taxes in general and because he's talking about kings of the earth. I think Jesus is broadening this to whoever they think, whoever thinks they're in charge. And let's face it, who's ever in charge, that's why we have the saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. So even in our country, they will tax people. But if you have enough interest, and they call it special interest, you can get particular deductions and avoidances because you're good friends with the people who are in charge. And so Jesus doing what is common who do people tax? Do they tax their family or do they tax strangers? And Peter, having lived on the earth for a while, and Peter said, from strangers. He's seen the system. They do it from strangers. And when Peter said from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. He's saying if they're collecting it from strangers, then the sons don't have to pay. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook. Now I'm going to stop there. So Jesus is saying, they've come to collect a temple tax. What is the temple? It's the house of God. Who am I? the Son of God. Therefore, if I want, I don't have to pay the tax because it's my Father's house. And because there's going to come a time after the resurrection that we will be confirmed that we are the children of God, we are exempt as well because it's our Father's house. But Jesus says, but I don't want to offend them. And that is a doctrine of Christianity. There are times we have the freedom not to do things, but we don't put it in front of people's faces. We say, in order not to offend you, I will refrain from exercising my right. You see, they already don't accept that Jesus is the Son of God. They don't accept it now. They don't accept it later in his teachings. They don't accept it when he's on the cross. They don't accept it when he's buried. They don't accept it when he raised from the dead. They make up excuses and lies. Tell them that the, the, his disciples came and stole the body. Even when confronted with the truth by the Roman guards, they pretended otherwise. However, so that... We do not offend them. Go to the sea 
and throw in a hook. Now, I think this is probably kind of strange, Peter, because remember, Peter's profession, his advocation, is to be a fisherman. And as we've seen in all of Peter's fishing, and even after the resurrection, when he's out fishing, he does so with a net. He does so with a net because you can haul a lot of fish. A single hook takes a while to collect a number of fish. But I believe, based on what this, how this incident takes place, Jesus doesn't want him to use a net. Because if he uses a net, he's going to grab a whole lot of fish. And the fish that's designated as the fish in this situation will have to be searched for. So Jesus says, I want you to take a hook, which takes longer. And it's specific. One fish at a time. So, so I want you to take a hook and take the first fish that comes up. Now notice Jesus says, hey, if you want to keep fishing, go ahead. I'm not stopping. If you want to spend all day fishing, spend all day fishing. However, the very first fish you catch, the first fish that comes up and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Just enough to pay two people's tax. And he says, this fish will have a shekel in its mouth. He won't even have had time to digest it. You don't even have to gut the fish. The hook that's in the fish's mouth is where the shekel will be in his mouth. Now, I don't know how Jesus did this. Because most of us, it, the reason I think that this incident is there right immediately after Jesus, for the second specific time to his entire disciples, talks about his resurrection and this incident is to show Peter, as we like to say, he's in control. Because if it was about the tax, he could have been like most grandparents and their grandchildren. He could have pulled the shekel out behind the ear and said, go pay the tax. Now we could have said, well, it was, you know, whatever. But I think Jesus is proving a point to Peter and is proving a point to me and to us. That when he says, this is what's going to happen, it's not because not only do I know the future, I am in control of all elements of the future. Now, how that fish got to that shekel, I don't know, other than Jesus did it somehow. How it remained in the mouth of the fish rather than in the digestive tract, I don't know. How Jesus moved everything so that the fish was right there at the time when Peter let down the hook, I don't know. All I know is Jesus is in ultimate control of not only this, but of all aspects of the story. So when we say Jesus is in control or God is in control, it's not a matter of, well, he's, he's in control of it all. The fish, the coin, Peter's location, when it goes down, how it's captured, how it's there. Jesus is in control. So when he says, I will be delivered into the hands of men, which says, I'm going to be betrayed. 
Somebody's going to give me into their hands, and they're going to kill me. And I'm going to rise again on the third day. Tells us Jesus is in absolute control of every situation. They won't just be delivered into the hands of men, killed and raised again on any particular moment, but he will do so at the precise timing of God. He will enter into Jerusalem when Daniel prophesied that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem. He would die on Passover. He would raise again on first fruits. Everything is in God's control. Not just the things that we say, well, I don't know how it happens. So the wonderful thing about this, and so people will say, oh, well, this is a miracle. Yeah, it's a miracle, but it's a miracle that should encourage you and me. Because sometimes things are so infinitely required to be just at the right moment at the right time. Jesus can do that. So when you think time is running out, time has not run out for God. When you think there's no way that this can happen, that I can be saved, I want you to remember this incident and say that if Jesus can determine that a fish should have the exact amount of money to pay two taxes in its mouth so that at the precise time that Peter lowers the single hook to capture one fish and find it in his mouth, then God can do almost anything he wants to do. He's in control of man. He's in control of nature. He's in control of it all. So when Jesus says, no one takes my life, I lay it down and I pick it up again, yes, he can. So when you find it, the shekel, Take that and give it to them for you and me. We're not going to offend them, Peter. We're going to pay the tax. But I want you to pay the tax in such a way that you say, my Lord and my God. I want you to understand exactly how powerful God is. That God is in some time far away and aloof, and not concerned that God can control it all to accomplish his purposes at his timing and for his glory. It's awesome that Peter did what the Lord asked him to do. Could you imagine Peter said, you know, yeah, I've been around Jesus, and he's done some pretty far-out things, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to waste my time trying to get a shekel. So maybe I'd uh, you know, write a sign that says, uh, poor fisherman, you know, I need some money, or get an extra job, or do something, because after all, this just seems not only improbable, but impossible. But Peter did what the Lord said. 
And by Peter doing what the Lord said, he saw the Lord at work. That our God truly is the God of the impossible. So when God asks us to do something, maybe our response should be, I want to see what God's doing. Yeah, it seems fantastic. Yeah, it seems improbable. Yeah, it maybe even seems impossible. But I want to see God doing something. So Lord, take my life and let it be. Consecrate it, Lord, for you. Use me. Not that I have anything great to add. It wasn't Peter's great fishing ability that caught this fish. It was God at work in the situation. And we should also understand that God is at work in us. You might say, well, Pastor, I don't see it. We are his workmanship that we might be more like Jesus. And you may not making it as easy on God as it could be, but God is working on you and going to change you into being like his son. Even if you're not a great pastor, even if you're not a great evangelist, even if you're not a great Sunday school teacher, even if you're not a great nothing, God is still at work in you to make you not the greatest you can be, but to be like his son. And if you're talking about something impossible, that sounds pretty much impossible if you know who I am and I suspect if you know who you are. So today's term is, yes, there are two certain things, death and taxes. So let's make it a third. I will certainly follow and believe God, no matter what he says or how improbable it may be, because I've decided for him to take my life and use it in whatever way he wants, whether it's for greatness or for things that people will never know about. But if he knows and he sent, then you will hear, maybe not what the crowd says, but you will hear the most wonderful words this world and the next has to offer. Well done, you good and faithful slave. And all God's people said,